at church today, one of, the, one of the best things that you can do to invite people to church is just let them know you're at church. And so you just share that right there. Maybe one of your friends who's at home, who's had a long weekend, will tune into today's message. And we believe uh, Jesus loves people uh, more than we can imagine, and he has a good and purposeful plan for everyone's life that, that breathes. And so if you're here right now, God has something good he wants to do in, in your life. And I believe that he's going to speak to you over the next few moments. And here's what happens often uh, in these rooms. You can feel like you're in a group, but what the presence of God does is it makes you feel like you're an individual, not in a group of people. And um, I believe that he'll, he's going to begin to speak right to you, that he knew exactly where you were going to sit, and he wants to speak directly to your heart today and impact and change your life forever. Uh, if you've never been to church before, uh, we, we preach in the Bible. Bible. Uh, and the Bible is a long book. Maybe you've, maybe you've seen, seen it before, maybe you haven't. It can be overwhelming. And so what we like to do is we like to kind of sit in a story for a few weeks or talk about a Bible, a book of the Bible. Uh, and so we, are, we started last, a few weeks ago in, in a sermon series where we, we entitled it, Burn the, the Plow, Eat the Cow. And it's a, it's a story about a man named Elisha, very ordinary man. He's a farmer. Uh, and so a lot of us, we can relate, maybe not to his, his occupation, but we can relate to his life. He's just a normal person. He doesn't have a Bible background. He, he didn't, we, don't, we don't know a whole lot about his upbringing, but he's just a normal person. And this man named Elijah, who is the prophet of God, he's a bigwig, he's, he's a celebrity, everybody knows who he is. He's just called down fire from heaven. He's, he, he's, he's spoken out against this evil king. Everybody knows who this guy is. He shows up on Elisha's doorstep one day in a field, and he puts his man, his cloak on, on Elisha, just a normal guy, and the message is basically, you're the next prophet. And so this point of the series is, is, here's how you handle when God shows up in your life, because he has something he wants to accomplish through you. If he didn't, your heart wouldn't be beating. So no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, no matter how many mistakes that you've made, God is a good God, and he has a good plan and a purposeful plan for your life. It's ultimately for his glory to build his kingdom. And so a few weeks ago, I talked to you about it. I said, what do you do when God comes knocking? We saw what, what Elisha does. The Bible says that he burns his plow that, that he uses for his business, and he eats his cows, the thing that pulls his plow. Essentially what he's saying is, I'm going, but I'm going to make sure I have nothing to come back to because if I have something to come back to, I'm probably going to come back to it because following God, it's easy to begin. It's very difficult to finish. And so he kind of took this step. And so a few weeks ago, I talked to you about getting rid of your ability to go back to things because oftentimes your refusal to kill the past allows the past to kill your future. So you have to eventually get rid of those things in your life. And so then last week we talked about it and I said, listen, there was this thing in the middle of his life. He, he comes, he gets called. The Bible says he follows Elijah. And then he spends 10 years kind of just in the background. And so I talked to you about the idea of the gap. There's, there's a time in your life where the, the, the distance is when God calls you and when you're, you're, you're actually used by God. We call that the gap, and it's the God-appointed preparations. And so if you're in the middle of, you know, maybe not understanding what you're going through, why you're going through it, why it feels lonely, why you're going through heartache, you know, you follow God, but stuff gets difficult, I encourage you. I said, he's preparing you for something. He's always preparing you for something. For Elisha, it was 10 years. We don't know anything about his life, uh, but a lot of scholars estimate that there was 10 years between when he got called and when he actually became the prophet. And so for the next two weeks, I want to kind of show you two things that I think he needed to develop. And, and here's, here's why these messages are important, is you need to learn how to handle success. You don't learn how to handle success when success comes. You learn how to handle success before it gets there. Nothing destroys people more than success does nothing like my, my prayer like we've we've seen this this 
if you're in Philadelphia and you're kind of a, a fan of the Eagles, and if you're not, I don't know why you're at this church. You're at the wrong church today. But we've seen the stardom of our quarterback rise, right? You, you also know that, that if, you, if you watch TV, even on Monday Night Football, they talk about his strong belief in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to watch. You know, typically, the, the guy that loves Jesus can't throw the football, right? So it's cool that he loves Jesus, but, but he doesn't get the platform that he gets. But you're seeing kind of this, this quarterback, and he's rising in, in credibility of his faith because he's amazing at quarterback. And so my belief is that he's going to impact. The, the platform he's on is, is, is a football field, but, but he has a chance to impact people's lives for the kingdom of God for eternity if success doesn't ruin him. Success ruins people. And so you don't get prepared to handle success when success arrives. You get prepared to handle it long before you get there. You know, we know this is a principle if you're a parent that's had a baby, right? You don't get prepared to have a baby when the baby comes. There's things that you only learn when the baby comes. You're like, I didn't read that in a book. No doctor told me about that. My parents are just laughing at me now. Payback, right? But you spend nine, nine, almost ten months getting prepared for that thing. You remember that? I've had kids for the last decade of my life. And so I've been through three babies, three, you know, uh, potty training things, still working on the fourth, the third one. Like, I've been through that, but my kids are starting to come out of it for the glory of God, right? Like, they're starting to get themselves ready. They, they kind of brush their teeth. They kind of bathe when we tell them to bathe. They can kind of dress themselves and match. Like, life has changed. So if you have a baby or a newborn or, or a toddler, and you're thinking, it's never going to get better. Better, it does, right? It, it it does. It gets it gets better. But I remember I remember the ten months you get prepared for it. You go to you go to classes. I went to a birthing class with my wife and saw things that I didn't want to see right on the screen. I thought to myself, I don't want to see this. I don't care. Just just let the doctors do it. They got paid to do that. And so when the dad learned how to massage my, my pregnant wife with, with in, a, in a in a room full of five or six other couples, and it was really awkward. And she turned the light, dim the lights, and I'm thinking, you're already pregnant, and so you probably. I want to slow down there, and so learn how to massage my wife. I paid a lady, you know, $150 for these classes, and I had to massage my wife. I was trying to figure out what that was all about, and so, like, did all that, and then you, you go in the hospital, you, you have the baby after you prepare, you pack a bag, you remember that, you pillow, favorite candles, all that stuff. If you're a husband, you realize you use none of that. When you get there, you just simply shut up, right? Like, you don't say a word to your wife. You just let her do what she's supposed to do, and so... And I remember in the hospital, the baby is born, and they, they kind of put you through different things. Come, different doctors come in. One of the last things they do is they show you a video, and the video is don't shake your baby. It's a very serious thing. It can actually kill, kill a baby, ridiculously hurt a baby. And I remember thinking when you first, first time you watch it, like, I would never shake a baby. I love this baby. And then you watch the video, and you see how dangerous it is, and then you go home, and three months into it, you're like, I'm not going to shake this baby, but I know what they're talking about. Like, I can see, I can see how people, like, there's times that you have a baby that you don't even know what, like, all, like, they told us in the hospital, there's going to be a time when this little baby is going to lose their mind all day long, and the best thing you can do is just drop the baby, not dr physically drop it, drop the baby in the, in the, in the crib and just walk away. I will never do that. I can't tell you how many times I had to do that. The truth is, you don't get prepared to handle a baby when the baby gets there. You get prepared beforehand. Same thing is true for God's call. God's call is to bring success into your life. But you don't get prepared to handle success when it arrives. You prepare beforehand. You, you go through things. And so I want to talk to you today. The title message is real simple. Handling success because there's nothing that destroys people more than success. 
When you don't understand what success is, when you don't understand how to handle it, when you don't understand how to look at it, success can destroy you. Like it literally, I've seen people, I've watched people come to church, God saves their life, changes them, they find some success in their faith, their business is, is impacted, their relationships are impacted, they get a new boyfriend, a new girlfriend, they end up getting married, all of a sudden, a few years later, success has completely ruined them. They come here broken and in need of a, a God to restore them, he does just that because that's what he does he restores and he sets people free and then the freedom and the restoration it actually ruins them he builds their business and instead of them looking at their business and going this is your business for your glory at this time in history for you to accomplish something historical with my life they begin to go it's my business with their talent God comes in they've used their talent over and over and over again for things that left them empty then all of a sudden God begins to use their talent for his glory and they begin to see success and instead of going this is your talent my looks they're your looks my gift is your gift my time is your time they begin to go this is mine and success begins to ruin them and so I want to show you what Elisha did in those 10 years to get prepared for for success because don't miss this he has a successful life and when he starts to be the prophet. In fact, Scripture says that he gets, and we're going to talk about this next week, he gets a double portion of the power that Elisha has. That means that Elijah has. The power that Elijah has, the Bible records him doing all these miracles, Elisha doubles it. I mean, he could quite, in fact, besides Jesus, see the most power of God in the history of the world work through his life. And so he needed to get ready to handle it. Because if he didn't, it was, gonna, it was maybe going to go to his head. It was going to ruin him. It was going to take him off course. And so I want to take you back into the story. If you haven't been with us, this is the last time we're going to read this verse, I promise. But Scripture says in 1 Kings 19, Elijah shows up. He's the prophet. Puts his cloak on Elisha. Basically says, hey, you're next. He goes to his parents. He kisses his mom. He kills his favorite cow. He has a bonfire. They have a last meal. And the Bible says he leaves, right? And this is what Scripture says in 1 Kings 19, verse number 21. If you've been here, we've read this verse, but I just want to read it again. So Elisha left him and went back, took his yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then it says this. Then he set out to follow Elijah, and last week we talked about become. That's the gap. God appointed preparation. God is more interested in who you're becoming than where you're going because that's going to enable you to handle. But then he says these words. Really important word for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. He said he became his servant. Before you find success in God's kingdom, you must learn how to handle it. How do you learn how to handle success in God's kingdom? You learn how to serve. How do you learn how to handle success at your place of business that you started, that you've seen God work for his glory through your business? You serve. How do you handle it before you walk down the aisle and you look at your, your loved one and you say, I'm about to be married to you? And how do you get prepared to handle the success of that relationship? You look at your, your bride or your groom and you say, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my, my life. If you want to be great, you have to learn how to serve. And so I want to talk to you about this aspect. And I want to take you into a New Testament passage to show you how significant this is. Because he spent 10 years serving the call of Elijah. Before he was ready to handle success, he had to learn how to serve. I want to show you the flip side of this. I want to take you into a New Testament story in the book of Matthew chapter 23. I want to give you a little background of this because these men, they handled success wrongly. A little background of where we're at. 
So, so God comes, he, he, he saves the Israelite people, they walk out of, out of uh, slavery in Egypt, kind of builds this nation, they have this religion, this relationship with God, but it's more of a religion, and he's pointing back to, uh, forward to Jesus, this is just all a picture of who Jesus is going to be, you're making these sacrifices one day, Jesus is going to come and be the ultimate sacrifice in the midst of this, they do what all religious people do, is they just make more and more rules, you ever been there? Like there's things that we do at churches that are not in the Bible. This is a newsflash for some of you. There's things people do in churches that they're like, they're like, this is how it should be. You go, no, no, that's just tradition. And the problem with tradition, it just keeps changing. And so we are not a traditional church. We're a gospel church. Tradition dies. If you, if you, if you, you want to find churches that are, that are dying, go to traditional churches. And here's why. Because they're doing things that their parents and their grandparents and their grandparents, grandparents, and their grandparents, grandparents did. And they say, this is the way we're supposed to do it. No, that's the way they did it to reach their world. There's a different way that we need to do it to reach our current world. And so oftentimes, this is what tradition does. And, all, and another thing tradition does is tradition creates distance between us and the world. You begin to say, this is the way we do it. This is the way we do it. This is the way we do it. If you want to do it like this, and you can be part of us, but if you don't, you go somewhere else. And so this has been happening forever. So Jesus is dealing with this in the religion of Judaism. They, they have some truth, but they've added a bunch of tradi- tradition. And so the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law, Scripture says, they've kind of taken what was supposed to be pure and right, and they've, they've added all this garbage to it, and so he's dealing with this all the time. These guys hate Jesus so much they kill him. The outside world, the Bible says the sinners, the, those people, they didn't kill Jesus, the church killed Jesus, which, by the way, I believe the same thing would happen today. I think if Jesus showed up here, we would be less impressed with him, we would be more angry with him. When he would look at us and say, that's, that's dumb, you're, what you're doing right there is stupid. Your beliefs are kind of wacky. Like, we would do the exact, we're like, no, we would do the exact same things to Jesus. So he shows up and he essentially says, what you guys are doing is wrong. And this is what he says in the book of Matthew 23. And I want you to see this because these guys are successful. They're, they're leaders. People look to them. People adore them. People bow down to them. People think they're a big deal. They know the Bible. So people are impressed. Give me your autograph. Will you sign my baby? Will you touch m- m- my baby? It sounds a lot like tradition in churches today. Religious leaders show up and people make a big deal about them instead of making a big deal about Jesus. You're mishandling success, and so this is what Jesus says, and here's how I know they do, because every time that Jesus could have catapulted his success, the Bible says he ran to the mountainside to be by himself. Every time. Like, it'd be like they were like, Jesus, 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 you just turned water into wine, you're our favorite savior ever, Jesus, right? So we're like, he did? I don't need to find that in the book. Jesus, Jesus, he feeds 5,000 people with one lunch, Jesus, and every time in the Bible you go to it, the Bible says that he retreats to be by himself. It's almost as if he's saying, this is how you handle success. It's not about, not about me. And so this is what it says in Matthew 23, verse number 1. It says, and Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Moses was a leader. He was a good leader in, the, in their history. They sit in the seat of leadership. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They're people that love to appear successful, but in their private life, they don't do what they say to do. I love it. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You ever meet somebody like that in church? Church people come in, they want to give their opinion on stuff that's going on, gripe about stuff, give you feedback, give you criticism. You're like, okay, well, why don't you help us serve? Nah. 
It happens all the time at our church. These people, these people here never serve, never do anything, walk into church, plop their spiritual hineys down in a seat, take, 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 tell us what they do wrong, get up, leave. Meanwhile, somebody's been here since 7 o'clock in the morning getting ready for them to have church. They don't care about that. They just want to tell you what went wrong in the hour that they were here. Meanwhile, somebody's been here for seven hours getting ready that doesn't get paid a dime, that has the exact same life that you have. I'm too busy. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. You have a wrong God. You have the wrong God. Wrong church. Eagles, non-Eagles fans, non-serving people. Wrong church. <laughs> By the way, those go hand in hand. <laughs> Cowboys are America's team. Eagles are God's team. So anyway... Everything they do is for people to see. Everything. Everything they do is so that somebody sees them. You ever been here before? I'm serving and nobody sees me. Duh. <laughs> That's the definition of a servant. You bring the food and the people that are sitting there eat, they don't pay attention to you. That's called a waiter. We're not waiters. We're servants. You're just there to give them an experience. Nobody pays attention to me. Nobody sees what I'm doing. When I serve, everybody's overlooking me. Yeah. Because on the flip side, everything you do is so that somebody will see. Before you hand out that piece of candy at church, you hashtag, I'm awesome, and put it online. Look at me. The Bible keeps going and says this. This is everything they do is people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. You're like, what the heck's that? This, this place had gotten so religious by that point. These people, they took literal a Bible verse that where God commanded them to, to wear scripture on their heads. It was not literal, it was it was spiritual, like learn to wrap your mind in scripture, which by the way you should do, it tells you to renew your mind. But instead of taking it literal because they want everybody to see, they don't want to go pray and not have anybody see them pray. They need to make sure on the Uversion Bible app everybody knows what they read. So instead of just doing that and being okay with it, they made these big boxes, they got these big scrolls, and they put it on their heads, and they wrapped it in a piece of leather, and these dudes started walking around with boxes on their head. And what happens is, they just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. They liked big phylacteries, and they could not lie, right? The other religious people cannot lie, cannot lie right? Whatever the song is. And, so, and then, it says, then it says they made really long tassels. What's that? That was a sign they were religious. Big tassels. Big time, right? It was everything was about them being seen. Love the place of honor at the banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. Flash forward to that shit. That's my seat. Don't tell me where to sit. Don't tell me how to sit. Don't point that green thing at me. Don't do that. Like they love to find the places of honor. They love to be greeted and respected in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. In other words, who is least impressed with you? Your family. You know who doesn't care about me at all? My kids. I might come up at the end of the day and go, man, we had a great day. People got saved. Greet and treat was awesome. We had tons of kids there, and I'll sit on my thing, and I'll be super excited. We had a great day. They don't give a crap. You need to respect and honor me. Do you know what I did today? you know how hard I worked? Can you make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, Dad? Like that, that's what happened, because they were unimpressed. He says, you are not impressive to anyone. Stop trying to be impressive. He keeps going, he says this, and don't call anybody on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven, which, by the way, we do that in church world right now. It's weird. The Bible says, don't 
The word Jesus. Call anyone. Father, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. So let me, let me give you four things that are really important. Why serving is important? Because you see in this scripture that, that serving is not in them and success is ruining them. And you don't learn to handle. God, I want you to do something big in my life. God, I'm ready for you to do something big. God, I want you to give me a platform. God, I want you to give me a lot of Instagram followers. God, I want to have a marriage that glorifies you. I want all these things. God, I want a business where I can point put at you. God, I want to be the next Carson Wentz. I want to be all those things. You don't figure out how to be those things when you get there. You begin to get prepared right now. And I'm going to show you how to handle success. And here are a few reasons why serving prepares you to handle success. Number one is this, is success without a servant's heart always leads to pride. Success without a servant's heart, without first developing a servant's heart. And here's the problem with pride. Pride is so easy to miss. Because if I say you're prideful, what do you say? No, I'm humble. Which, by the way, if you say you're humble, you're probably not humble. I'm like so humble, it's unbelievable how humble I am. <laughs> like if you say that of yourself, and I, listen, I, I'm with you there. My number one struggle is pride. I like to hide it behind other things, tenacity, little dog, I'm from Philly, right? Like I, I try to be like that, but I'm going to tell you, my number one struggle is pride. And pride is very easy to miss. I mean, let me just give you a couple things and you can tell you have pride. And this is, just a, this is just one more light one, but if you take a picture with somebody and you look at it, whether it's online, whether it's on, on Kodak, if they're even a company anymore, whatever it is, and the picture comes up, who's the first person you look for? And if you look good, what does that mean? Good picture. You don't care what they look like. If you pull up another picture and you think you look bad, everybody else looks good, I do it with my wife. We get family pictures every couple months with, with, with a photographer, and she takes our pictures, and sometimes she picks them. She put a picture on Facebook this last time. I hate it. I'm like, you can't, I look like a dork on it. I'm like, we're like, I'm like, this is awful. You saw me, you saw her. You're like, my pastor's a dork, right? She made me. She dresses me for pictures. She does all that stuff. That's what, and I hate it, so I look at it, but the truth is it's pride. I'm worried about who's looking. I'm worried about who's judging me. I'm worried about my college friends laughing at me, right? I'm worried about those things, but it's, it's pride. Let me give you the pride test. Well, here's some things you know, you know, some questions. And if you say yes to this, you know you have a problem with pride. And, and, and pride is, is a big deal to God, by the way. But here's some. Do you brag often about your accomplishments? Like, is that when you brag? And here's the thing about it. Bragging is even hard for us to see because we just use so, it's just, it's social media. So I'm going to take the moment, I don't brag enough about myself, which by the way, if you say you don't brag enough about yourself, you brag too much about yourself. If you talk more about yourself than you do about Jesus, you brag too much. The Bible says in scripture that Paul said, when I boast, I boast about Jesus. Here's the thing about it. If he doesn't have time to boast, you don't, because you ain't doing squat compared to Paul. It's just, it's just reality. The dude's building churches in places there was never churches. He's getting shipwrecked. He's getting bitten by snakes, right? He's doing like stuff like he's in jail. And he says, when I boast, I only boast about Jesus. I don't have time to boast about my, myself. Do you smugly think of yourself as spiritually superior to your mate and others in your church? I hope we don't have a church like that, but let's be real. Happens often in church. Having greet and treat somebody from another, ch another church I see online. Well, you shouldn't celebrate Halloween, and here's 16 reasons why. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're just trying to give people Reese's peanut butter cups. 
I mean, <laughs> if you're watching, don't, right? Are you argumentative, always think you're right? Do you have a sharp, critical tongue and are quick to point out fault with others? Yes, right? Do you become defensive when you're criticized or corrected? Those go hand in hand. I like to tell you, but I don't like to listen, right? Do you frequently interrupt people when they were speaking? Do you often complain about the weather, your health, your circumstances, your job, and your church? Do you neglect to express gratitude for little things that God has given you? And do you react negatively to rules and have a hard time being told what to do? Yep. It's just just pride. And and here's the problem with pride. I I need you to understand how significant this is. Is I want to read this verse to you in Proverbs 16. Listen to what it says. It says, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. So here's how I want you to remember it. Pride is the lid in your life to God's call. It's what closes the lid to God's call that eventually, the Bible says, leads to your fall. You know how I know that? Because it happened to Satan. Some of you don't know a lot about the history of the Bible, but the Bible implies to us that Satan was once an angel. Not only was he an angel, he was the angel. The Bible lets us know that he was the worship leader of God's band. He was the most beautiful angel. That's why when, when we have Halloween and people dress up in like, like the devil in red and black, I'm like, that's not the devil. That costume of Kim Kardashian, that's the devil, right? <laughs> like, that's what he looks like. He doesn't, he's not like, oh, I'm going to get you with the pitchfork. No, no, Satan is beautiful. Satan comes to us as a being of light, full of, full of lies. Like, that, that's what he does. And so Satan's in heaven, and the Bible says he gets jealous of God. He gets jealous of his position. It's not okay for him just to stand on the stage and lead all all of heaven in the worship of God. He wants more, which, by the way, is what happens to people. The platform that you're on, if you don't handle it right, will never be enough for you. You will want more and more and more until pride destroys your life. It's the lid to God's call, and it's what comes before the fall. And if you go into into Scripture, there's parts of Scripture that show us kind of Satan's fall, little bits and pieces of it. And in Isaiah 14, 13 through 14, it goes through his wording. And it says this over and over and over again. I'm going to ascend to heaven. And I will raise my throne above the stars. And I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. And I will ascend to the tops of the clouds. And I will make myself from the most high. Like he over and over again, I will, I will, I will. Why? You ever notice what the middle of pride is? Some of you are spelling it out in your head. What is it? It's I. It's I. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to accomplish this. You see the difference? Jesus comes down. He ascends from, comes down from heaven off of his throne. And if there was ever somebody who could say, this is me. I'm going to do this. It's Jesus. And instead, the Bible says in the garden at the last night of, of, of his life on this earth before he would die on a cross, it says, he says in, in Matthew 26, going a little farther, he falls on his face and he prays, my father, if it is possible, may you take this cup from me, yet not as I will. Watch this. The opposite of I will is your will be done. Not, not me, but your will be, be done. And so I want to challenge you. The reason that serving is so important is success without a servant's heart leads to pride. And here's the second thing that happens is when the spotlight on you becomes brighter than the servant's heart in you, guess is what? The, the, the attention will destroy you. When the spotlight is what you live for, when the spotlight on you becomes brighter than the hands of a servant in you, that attention will 100% 
destroy you. There is no greater threat to God's call in your life than mishandled success. You ever hear the statement, success went to their head? We all struggle with it. I can remember when I was 25 years old, we moved back here to start this church. I was just a nobody, a little peon. My church was nothing. They had this, this group of, of churches meet together at the Pottstown Diner, which is not even a thing anymore. I drove by the day. I was kind of sad about that. And then I thought, wow, I can't believe we stayed in business that long. And so anyway, I went to this meeting. And it was for this event, this big Christian event at Pottstown. It was called Passion Fest. And the owners of this company were there, and they were going to raise money and kind of form relationships with, with, the, with these churches. And there was churches there that had a couple hundred people. I had nothing at that point. We were, we were, we were nothing. We had no building. We had nothing. And I was there with my dad because obviously he has a bigger church and he got invited and, and, I, and I was there. And when I was there, I remember every time that it would be a chance for me to meet these, these guys, these big wigs of this company that were going to put on this big Christian event, they wanted nothing to do with me. And I get it because it was like, what are you going to give to us? You got nothing. How are you going to fund us? And I remember how I felt in that moment. I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to treat somebody like this. No matter how big that our church gets, and 11, 12 years later, our church is bigger than pretty much every church that was in that room. If they would do another event, we would have more money to give to them than most of those churches could even dream of. So now it's a different place in my life, but back then I thought to myself, I will never, and I can promise you that over the last 11 years that oftentimes when pastors call us, they're, they're, they want something from us, they have questions. We've tried to take that approach, but there's still this thing inside of me sometimes that's like, I don't got time for them. What are they going to give me? What are they going to do for me? What can they offer me? All they want to do is come take from us, take from us, take from us. And I go back to that, that room, and I remember how I felt. And, I, and I, I understand, listen, here's what can happen. The spotlight on me can outshine the servant's heart in me. And all of a sudden, wherever God builds me, that attention is eventually going to destroy me. It's eventually going to destroy me. This is why we stopped doing testimony videos in our church, by the way. We found out that oftentimes the testimony videos we would do came from new believers. We would put them on the screen, and next thing we know, if they were a single guy, they would have phone calls from every single girl in this church. And oftentimes, that attention that they began to get from places they shouldn't get it because it was not all about them would draw them away from the, the plan of God, and the attention would actually destroy them, and we've seen it. If you go back in the history of our videos, there's people that are smiling on those videos talking about all the great things that God has done in their life and for their life and through their life, and they're not even at church anymore. Because the attention on them was greater than the servant's heart in them. And eventually that will destroy you. You see it in the religious leader's life. You see it in scripture. You see it in men like Samson. Nothing about it. Samson, God made him the strongest man ever. Said, don't ever cut your hair. I'm going to give you muscles and I'm going to give you long hair. Hello, ladies, right? And so anyway, he got all the women. Women were piling on his door, knocking on his door, and he started dating all of these girls and sleeping with all these girls that he wasn't supposed to be sleeping. Finally, one woman convinced him and tricked him into cutting his hair. He loses all his power. What happened? The attention on him was greater than the servant's heart in him. Same thing happened to David. Same thing happened to Satan. Same thing happens to people over and over and over again. When people start to get impressed with us, our human nature is that we will start to get impressed with ourselves. So here's what you got to do. When you get to success, keep your head down. Keep your head down. Don't worry about what everybody else is saying about you. That's why I've never got on social media and started posting my own stuff. 
This is why I don't do it, because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go there over and over. Who, who shared my quote? Who talked about me? Who liked my thing? Why didn't they like my thing? Why didn't they say anything about me? Why didn't they do this? Because here's what happens. It's taken away from the time I get to serve other people, and the attention on me, I know, will eventually destroy what God wants to do through me. And here's two more that I think you need to understand that that's so good, is when you begin to serve, and Laura, you can come back because I'm preaching too long today. And so, but this one's important to me. This one's really important to me. Number three is this, is I think that when you begin to serve, that it brings relief to know that God's call is not about me at all. God's call is not about me at all. God can't work through you when you think it's not all about you. So I'd like to do this every once in a while as a church. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd like to say this statement together. You ready? Everybody say, it's not all about me. Doesn't that feel good? Like, we like songs like that, right? Like, we, I, I, we would like our worship team to write that song. It's all about me, not you. Right? Like, that's, that's, that feels good. Like, we actually think in our spirit, God wants to make a big deal of us. That we, that we are here because God wants to make a big deal about us. But here's scripturally what's, what's true. God is not here to make a big deal about us. We are here to make a big deal about God. There was a man named Copernicus a few hundred years ago. In 1543, at that time, the people of the earth were convinced that the earth was the center of the universe. And we go, that's stupid. No, no, you stink it every day. You wake up and you go, orbit around me. People, right? Like that's, what am, what am I going to have today? Who's not going to get in my way today? How are my toddlers going to come to my every beck and call today? Hey, husband, you can start orbiting around me. Wife, orbit around me. Every marriage problem you have is because you think everybody's supposed to orbit around you. You didn't put your stuff away right. You're not orbiting around me correctly. And so for years, almost 1,400 years, fathers would be able to take their, their sons and their daughters out into the field and look up and say, you see all this? It all revolves around us. And then Copernicus at 1543 started studying, going, this is not right. And he started publicly making this claim. We, we are not the center of the universe. The sun is. We revolve around the sun. People actually got mad at him. You know why? Because nobody likes to hear, it's not about you. Nobody. Most of your greatest memories, what are they? They're about me. What do I get? Where am I going? I'm looking forward to summer. Why? I'm going on an all-inclusive vacation and everybody's going to serve me. You excited for work tomorrow? No. Well, why? Well, because I got to serve there. I don't like to work at Applebee's. It stinks. half price apps are gross. Like, we don't tend to look forward to serving, but there's something that is a relief to you in your walk with God to know God has a ridiculously big call in my life. And I am not responsible to build the crowd, build the platform, gain the attention. I don't got to look around and say, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. My job is simply to make a big deal about my God. There's a relief there to know everything is not about me. Here's what I believe. And you should write this down somewhere if you haven't heard this before. But your personal demotion is the breeding grounds for God's greatest promotion in your life. You promote and you die. You promote your talents, you promote your will, you promote your life 
When you die, your life dies with you. You promote God's will. You promote His glory. You promote that and you demote yourself. You're okay with being behind the scenes. You're okay with serving and no one see you serving. You're okay with pushing a, a, a cart into a spot that's not yours. You're okay with letting somebody go in front of you at the line. You're okay with somebody cutting you off on 76 for the 17th time this week. You're okay. Your personal demotion is the breeding grounds for God's promotion in your life. What does Scripture say? You must, you must decrease. And when you decrease, he's able to increase. And lastly, number four, as we, we wrap this up, I think this is, this is so important, is servant hearts, only servant hearts can handle sustained, significant success. O- only servant hearts, you might get a little bit of success here and there, but only servant hearts can handle sustained, significant success. What does that mean? As the platform of our church has grown, what have we consistently done? We're going to make it less and 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 less about us. We're not going to try to build our platform and gain fame and get people to come to this church because of what we're doing. We're simply going to stay out of the way. We're going to personally demote ourselves so that he can promote us to a place that's actually useful for him. And when you do this in your life, you are able to handle, sustain significant success. This is what the scripture says at the end of Matthew 23. He just dealt with them. He said, man, they're all wrong. They're handling success all wrong. And so instead, you disciples, here's what I want you to do in verse number 11. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant I know what they think when they sit in that big seat and people make a big deal about it, they think that's great when they put that big box on their head they think that's great when they wear those big tassels they think that's great but I'm not going to do none of that and I'm going to change this world you ever notice that Jesus didn't dress differently Jesus never put his face on a mug Jesus never walked around with his book on his head Jesus never had a book signing where he promoted himself. Jesus never even mentioned himself. Jesus often behind the scenes with 12 men impacted this world forever. And this is what scripture says. It says, for those who exalt themselves, they'll be humbled. You know what that means? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You stand exalted now, eventually you'll stand humbled in the presence of God. It's going to be really difficult for you to say to yourself, I've made it all about God when we go back through your social media and you've made it all about about you. It's going to be difficult for you to say, I've made it all about Jesus and then for me to come to you or somebody come to you and say, hey, why don't you serve? And when I was served, nobody noticed me. Or here's what Christians say. They say, I was burned out and I was tired. Definition of being a servant and a slave. Of course you're tired. Of course you feel used. That's what being a servant is. Of course nobody noticed what you do. They're not supposed to notice you. They're supposed to notice Jesus. This year, 484 people have responded to Jesus, and we haven't once said, hey, let's give the credit to Damien here in the front. Let's clap for him. He parked cars today. No, no, no. But you got to be part of it. You got to experience it. Our church gets to experience sustained, significant success. And then he says this. He says, those who humble themselves they'll be exalted you know what that word exalted means it means to be placed at a high or powerful level and the second definition 
is in a state of happiness. Some of you never happy because the more success that you find, the more you point to yourself, the more you need because the more you point to yourself and what you need inside of you is not in yourself, it's in a relationship with Jesus. And so instead, you begin to push the credit to God. You begin to give him glory. You begin to okay, be okay with wherever he places you and you begin to experience real success in your life. It's important. You don't learn to handle success by praying God give, to me, give it to me because if God were to give you the success that he wants to give you in your life, and he does, and you don't handle it right, it will destroy you.